Is money slipping through your fingers? Are you missing your opportunity to become a millionaire? Welcome to The Millionaire Choice, where we talk to millionaires and future millionaires about how to build wealth and what to do with it once you have it. We're here to help you do two things. Make your millionaire choice and create your own millionaire plan. Here's your host, speaker, wealth coach, and author of The Millionaire Choice. He made his choice and he created his millionaire plan at age 25. Now it's your turn. Welcome your host, Tony Bradshaw. Welcome back to the Millionaire Choice Show. And today we're going to have a repeat guest. If you guys want to hear a little bit more from Brian Clayton, the CEO and co-founder of Your Green Pal and noted real estate investor. Uh, he was on the show back around episode 2030, somewhere like that, I think 2020. So if you want to go hear some more about him, there's an extra hour of a conversation. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see Brian back on the show. He's uh, you know, been growing his business. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. You can talk about it more, but when you got a business guy that can grow his business 40 to 50% a year for three, four years in a row, uh, you must be doing something right. And you got some wisdom to share, Brian. Hey, Tony, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me back on your show. It's great to be back on here. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, we were talking in the pre-show about, uh, you know, your story. So let's start there. You know, you didn't, you didn't grow up with money. You didn't grow up as a millionaire. You, uh, had to figure it out. So where did you start though? Yeah, started off very, uh, I guess you could say middle class or lower middle class. Uh, my folks were working class folks. And I started uh, started in the, in the lawn care business. I was dragged into it, kicking and screaming by my father on a hot summer day. He said, hey, get off your butt. You, I got a gig for you. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And I wasn't living in a uh, Democratic household. And this was, a, this was an order. And he made me go mow the neighbor's yard. And luckily he did because I made 20 bucks in like an hour. And I, I thought, this is incredible. Why doesn't everybody just do this? This is awesome. And I made a bunch of flyers. And by the end of that first summer, I, I had like 15, 15 customers and kept with this landscaping business all through high school, all through college, graduated college and had to make a decision. Was I going to go into the job market and take a pay cut or stick with the landscaping business? And I thought, well, I really don't want to be a lawn guy my whole life, but let's just see if I can use this business as a, as, as a way to kind of kind of level up as a way to kind of make something of myself. And so I made a little business plan. I guess you could say I had a chip on my shoulder and uh, over a 15 year period of time, ended up building one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, eventually getting it like over 150 employees, over 10 million a year in revenue. And in 2013, was able to get that business acquired by one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. And so going from just me and a push mower to me and like 90 trucks going out every day, I learned a lot about how to grow a business from scratch. And at 32, I took some time off. like I basically retired and got bored and thought, what now? Well, what am I going to do now? And I thought, well, I want to start another business. And I thought, you know, an app needs to exist for the lawn care business. And so there needs to be an Uber for lawn mowing. And I thought, well, why can't I just build that? And recruited two co-founders and it was kind of naivete as an asset. We didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know how hard it was, how hard it was going to be. But we just got in there, got in the trenches. And I guess, I guess you could say now the company I'm working for, working with now is Green Pal is a 10-year overnight success. We're, we're now 10 years in, over 300,000 people using the app, doing close to $30 million a year in revenue, uh, facilitating lawn mowing services. And so it's 22 years in one industry, two businesses, uh, and, uh, and, and just focused on just one thing for a long time. I guess that's, that's one of my keys to success. 
Yeah. Well, I love the energy there and the story, right? The journey, the story, the journey, because it, when you really trace roots back, it started with a, a young guy uh, and his dad saying, get off your butt here's, and go make some money. And you went out there. And so really, you could, uh, you could honestly say you built a multi-million dollar business off of $20. Like when you really get back to the core. Started with 20 bucks and uh, borrowing a push mower and just snowballed from there. So I guess the key is get started. So, yeah. So when did you, yeah, you got to get going in the right direction. I think that's a, that's a good principle because I think in wealth too, like when I was 25 and, and broke doing broke, stupid stuff, uh, I didn't know enough, man. It's like, you know, looking back at my 25 year old self, I'm like, ah, you, you thought you knew a lot more than you really did, but you knew enough to get started. That's the big thing is if you can just get moving in the right direction and keep moving in the right direction long enough, you can really make something happen. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of buried in your story there. You know, your dad started that little match for you. You like kind of lit the fire a little bit and uh, you kind of fanned the flames. Uh, so when, when did you uh, earn enough money to buy your own lawnmower? You said you bought yeah, the I first one. It's kind of funny. The lawn care business teaches you so many just fundamental principles of business ownership that apply to pretty much all business. And one is like as a business owner, as a founder, you, you take on this role of, capital allocator, which, you know, basically money comes in and you figure out where to invest money uh, to, to make more money. And, and so like, this is a fundamental thing in all business and really maybe even how to build wealth. It's okay. How am I making money and how am I putting money back to work? And so I learned really quick. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I got this little piece of crap, 20 inch Murray, hundred dollar lawnmower that the family has to cut their grass. But it's, it's breaking down all the time and it's taking too long. And, and if I bought this other one that like drove itself and had an extra three inch wide deck that I could maybe increase my productivity. Like these were like legitimate conversations I was having in my head at age 15. And, and what an awesome like way to learn those principles at, at, a, at an early age and at a simple business because that applies to all business. And, and I thought, well, okay, so if I can save up, you know, $450, I can buy this better one. And so I would say by the end of that first summer, I had my own equipment and I was buying commercial grade stuff uh, by, by, by the end of the next year. And that's another thing you learn in that business. It's like you learn that, that you can invest it, you can make cap, capital investments into equipment and assets and make more money. And you start to figure out, okay, well, I can make that back in a year. That's a pretty good bet. This other thing is a three-year payback. That's a bad bet. And uh, it's kind of it's kind of funny how I learned those lessons, you know, the, in, in the lawnmowing business. So one thing I tell people is like, they have these big business ideas. They want to start a ten million dollar business, whatever. I'm like, well, maybe we should start a simple, I don't know, a simple service based business that you can get into for five grand, rather than trying to go get financing, you know, for this other big thing when you don't have any track record. Lawn mowing business, service, service businesses are great to kind of cut your teeth on, on getting a business going. Yeah, I think the principles, you know, you get so much rich knowledge uh, worked into that, what you just said. I mean, you should probably write like five books just off of what you just said. But the, well, the I concept read them in books. of going, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you need to put your own word about Brian. I mean, everything is like nothing new under the sun. That's right. right. Yep. Other ideas yep. rehash, but, but everybody's got to share their wisdom. But you... You know, as a kid, being a 15-year-old, uh, analyzing, you know, just learning business principles and going, hey, how do I make this better? I'm working, you know, learning to work smarter, not harder. You know, I, I had people telling me that, you know, as a young guy. And, you know, you're figuring that out. Like, you know, get me three more inches of lawnmower, get me a better lawnmower. Uh, that makes my job easier. That means I'm multiplying my productivity. But 
even what you said, like make, right? So simple concepts, money-wise, you know, how do you make, manage, and multiply your money, right? And even in business, you've got to learn how to multiply those assets, uh, you know, whether it's through marketing or sales. But I love what you said about, you know, from the business mindset, because I think a lot of us, we're starting our businesses envisioning millions in the future, right? But if you if you keep your eye that far down the road, you're going to miss what you need to do in the the beginnings, which is, hey, you just got to get to profitability. Like if you can just get to profitability, then you can go on forever, right? You can, it doesn't matter what happens next year. As long as you reach the profitability mark, you can continue to uh, reinvest and, and the thing will grow, right? You're going to figure things out along the way. You may make some bad decisions. I'm sure you made some bad decisions along the way. Um, but I love that, the inspiration. So did your dad, so did, when, you, when you got that first 20 bucks, and said, hey, I want to turn this $20. You weren't thinking, I'm going to turn this $20 into like 3000 this summer. Like you were just like, hey, I got 20 bucks. Let me go more another yard. Like what was the, your thought process as a 15-year-old? Or, or is that too far in the past to remember? No, no, I remember it very well. And, and for me, um, it's, it's almost like looking back 22 years of, of business ownership. It's, it's, it really is like a video game in a way where like there's 10 levels and it, you're just getting through one level at a time. And, and to your point, you know, a lot of people, to, to, to use the metaphor, they worry about Bowser when, when they're on level one. And it's like, you shouldn't worry about Bowser. You, you just get through level one, throw up the flag, and, and get to level two. And so, and so to your point, like, you got to get to a profitability point. You got to get to what I call default alive, which means no matter what, you're going you're gonna to stay in business. You, you know, you're not like running out of cash. And, uh, you know, going back in those early days, like, like level one consisted of, wow, if I could make an, if I could make $300, I could, I could like buy a pair of soccer cleats that I wanted. And, and, and then I realized, okay, yeah, I bought the, I bought those cleats, but what if I could make like a thousand dollars? And then, and then, and then, and then I, and then I was like, well, what if I could buy a, a mower that I could ride on? And what if I could buy an extra longer trailer? And then what if I could get two of these trucks and trailers? And then what if I could, what if I could get three of them? And then what if I could pay somebody to manage all of this where I wouldn't have to do like, this was like the first, maybe le- one level one. Right. And it's a big level go, one, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it ultimately ended up with like 90 trucks going out every day and, and hundreds of employees and, and all kinds of this organized chaos. And, and uh, so, yeah, that might've been level one or two. But, but you just learn, you, you, you try stuff, you fail, you try stuff, you fail, you learn from that experience, you apply it to it, and, and you make it better and better and better. And, uh, and then you just work your way through these levels. So it's like in entrepreneurship and business ownership, you have to do two, two things at once. You have to have this big goal. So you're, to your point, I want to be doing $10 million in revenue. But then you also have to like think and act very, very, very small. It's like, okay, well, I have five customers. I need 100. How am I going to do that? Well, I need to like send about a bunch of cold emails out, or I need to make a bunch of cold calls, or I need to pass out a bunch of flyers. Or something. These are like very mundane, small, menial tasks. So you have to have like a very big, audacious goal, and then you also have to be willing to think and act very small until that stuff begins to compound. That's the way I've, I've experienced it. Yeah. Well, for for the listeners, the future millionaires listening, we may have to interpret your language a little bit there. Who is Bowser? So everybody that's not, uh, I guess you would have to be 38 years old or older to know who Bowser is. 
<laughs> Bowser was the final boss in the original Super Mario World, Super Mario Brothers. I think it was 10 levels, might have been 12. And he was a he was a mean SOB and he was hard to beat. And everybody knew everybody knew who Bowser was and knew he was the end of the game. And if you could beat him, you beat the game. The thing is, like, there's all these other bosses at the at the end of of of, of these of these levels before him that that you have to beat first. And uh and 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 in business we worry about Bowser when we don't even have 10 grand a month in revenue. And it's like, don't worry about Bowser. Like, hustle up some customers because that's what you need right now. You need the yeah. feedback from the customers to figure out if you're on the right track too. And so I see that mistake a lot. I've made it myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I went from the corporate world. I'm kind of struggling with that a little bit right now in the last couple of years, you know, because I was in the corporate world, you know, until I was 46. And then now I'm an entrepreneur. I wouldn't say I'm a wildly successful entrepreneur. I'm, you know, getting by, but I'm mostly living off investments. You know, I made some good investment decisions living off of those. But you you get programmed with a J-O-B mindset. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm analyzing that. I'll probably write a book about it someday. But where you, you really, when you have a job, it's kind of easy. It, it gets to be, I don't care what kind of job you got, because I had a pretty complicated job. Like I had to figure out problems, problem solve, do business stuff. You know, I was working as a CIO, chief information officer, chief operations officer, VP. So I had a lot of business problems to solve. But you still have a framework a business framework or a money-making system, as I saw, a business is just a system to make money. And it, you know, different businesses make, you know, business money in different ways. Um, and so I was inside of that system. But when you go to work, you pretty much have your day defined for you. You know, there's, you know, 80% of it's probably already spent before you show up. There's things you got to do. There's people you got to deal with, projects you got to check in on. And you might have 10 to 20% of your time where you get to do something new and interesting that you're kind of saying, hey, I need to work on this. So most of your itinerary is taken care of. So as an entrepreneur, though, you've got a whole different set because you have to come up with that, right? You have to come up with everything that you do, especially until the business gets to a certain level where you have more employees. Because as you get more employees, then you get back into that same kind of model that you had before. Oh, I got to take care of these things every day. I got to make sure, I'm sure you had a list of things that you had to do every day as the business grew. But as it was in its infancy, like you said, probably the most important thing, and I'm eager to hear your, your opinion on this, it's sales. It's like, what are you going to sell today? Like, what are you going to sell? And if you're an entrepreneur, that is like the dominant question every single day that you have to create until, until you can hand that question off to somebody else, like somebody else that's going to take care of the sales. But that has to be like one of the top, two, three things, right? It really is. You know, going from zero to one, you know, so I have nothing, now I have something. It, it's like pushing on a string and, and, and sales and, and just being able to drive the ball down the field a lot of times is, is the difference between success and failure. In my world, you know, GreenPow, we, we, we built a tech product and <clears throat> there's this saying that first-time tech founders worry about product. They want to build the best product. They want to build like the best solution to a problem. For us, it's pushing a button, getting your lawn mode. And they obsess over a beautiful, well-built product. Second time founders worry about distribution. All they care about is how in the hell am I going to put this product in people's hands? And how am I going to get people to find out about my product, use it, try it out, continue to use it, 
And that's all I care about. Yeah, good product is like table stakes. We have to do that too. But I don't even care about that. I care about good distribution, which is how can I get the product to spread itself? How can I get the product to people's hands without having to like buy a bunch of TV ads, billboards, Facebook ads, whatever. And so I believe that to be true. And, I, and I've experienced that now in, in both businesses. It's like you have to have a growth kind of marketing mindset and build a good business at the same time or else you're, you know, you're, you're going to be dead on arrival. Like bad, bad distribution, bad marketing kills more businesses than bad, bad services or bad products. So that's been the experience for me. And, and you know, if you get like a co-founder or, or if you do this alone, you kind of have to have this uh, hacker and a hustler mindset. So the hacker is, you know, like in a tech world, like what I live in, the hacker is writing code, is building the software. And then you have to have a hustler. You have to have somebody who's willing to look at, okay, what are we doing? We, got, we, we don't have any customers. How are we going to get five customers? How are we going to get 10? How are we going to get 100? Mm-hmm. And so having that, that growth mindset, that marketing mindset, is like you have to innovate on a problem and solve a problem, but you also have to innovate on growth and marketing at the same time. And a lot of people under-index on that. A lot of people under-emphasize uh, on that. And, and, uh, and, and the other thing I see a lot too is this concept of, of uh, what they call is the pivot, which is you can just pivot from one thing to the next and kind of find some magical thing that works. And, and what, what that does is it gives founders a, a license to not do the hard like marketing part because it's like, oh, I did this for like three months and like it didn't blow up. So I'm going to do this other thing. And it's like, no, it's like if you build it, they will not come. You have to have a, a marketing strategy. And it's not just like throwing a bunch of acronyms in a box. It's not like saying PPC, SEM, uh, CRO or whatever. It's like, okay, no, I'm literally like, like this is how I'm innovating on getting people to find out about what it is I'm doing. You have to, and you have to look at it that way. And so, yeah, sales is sales cures all. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, you have to go through some of these things, you know, even though I was successful in the business world, doing it on your own is a totally different animal because you don't have support infrastructure in place, right? You know, every company I've ever gone to work for was probably about $3 million uh, at the start when I joined them. Um, some of them were much larger than that, but when I'm, I'm talking about where I, where I yielded any kind of real authority in the organization. And then, uh, you know, my last stint, uh, I was there, helped grow that company from 3 million to 125 million and was instrumental in a lot of the decisions, you know, the strategy, the execution, the technology, but I was really never that responsible for the, the, um, well, we, we were able to, we were kind of cushioned with the marketing, like the, the mark, the, the primary marketing engine was already there and kept growing on its own. I was more of responsible for uh, capturing the sales from that marketing engine. So now I'm in that, that position. Yeah. And I'm more of a builder guy. Like I have to go like, what kind of an entrepreneur am I? I think somebody ought to publish a book on that talking about, you know, help people identify what, what their own skill sets are in within the entrepreneurial world, because you have like you said, people who can code and those guys can be entrepreneurs, but they have to understand what hats they're missing. Like you can be a good product guy and build a good product, but if you don't have people using it and you don't have a skill set to find your users, then you're, it's a dead product. It's a dead business and a dead product. And I'm more of a product guy than I am. I'm more of a builder. You know, I've always been a builder since I was little. I built things, made things. Um, and the sales part of it is the most difficult side of it for me. Um, but I liked what you said earlier and this, you know, I think this might be a fun conversation because you brought Bowser and, and Super Mario Brothers in 
And I've kind of gotten to the point where, you know, I'm going, business is gamification. Like if you can gamify your mind around your business, where you're motivated by punching numbers and seeing numbers grow, and and uh, it, it can really capture your imagination. And I'm a gamer too from the old days, you know, way too many hours uh, gaming. I think I confessed on the show. I've probably spent between 10 and 20,000 hours video gaming since I was about 23 years old, you know, and people go, how in the hell did you get that many hours in gaming? Well, you know, you keep doing, <laughs> you keep doing it for 25 years. It's uh, you know, it adds up after a while. You don't realize how much your time slips away from you, but fortunately I was able to do some positive things with my time too. Uh, and, you know, and still have some success, but, you know, business is gamification. I think some of your most successful CEOs and business guys, they do get motivated by the numbers. And, and so therefore their behaviors, just like in a video game, you know, they're getting their dopamine hits from accomplishing, uh, gamification levels like destroying Bowser. Uh, whereas business guys, yeah, business guys get their dopamine hits in the brain from uh, seeing the numbers go up, whether that's sales or customers or products or whatever. And, and they take Do you find that true to be about you with what you're doing and what you've done over the years? <laughs> yeah. I'll throw another, I'll throw another one at you. Uh, I, I promise I don't look at everything from the lens of a video game, but another one that makes sense to me is, you know, you mentioned when you joined up on a couple organizations, they already had two or 3 million in sales. And uh, I think a lot of people that, that makes sense. Like, you don't have to start something from scratch and reinvent the wheel. You can be employee number ten or twenty or thirty at, at, a, at a, and get a get a get a spot on the rocket ship, and that's a in many ways a better path to ultimate like success and wealth building than trying to build the next Uber for X. Uber like you know the first couple of years of the building the Uber for lawn mowing were really hard because we, we there was no roadmap we had to figure it out, and we had to be like eighty twenty good. At a lot of different things, and you couldn't go like couldn't just be like one thing. You had to be you had to be a good software developer. You had to be a good marketer. You had to be a good product person. You had to be a good designer. Good per, good at culture. Good at branding. Good at copywriting. Good at all of these things. And like going back to another video game metaphor, you know, one of my favorite games back in the day was old school Super Mario Kart. And so you had you had you had like five different drivers to choose from in Super Mario Kart back in the day. You had uh, Toad, Princess, Bowser, Mario, Luigi. And every one of these drivers was really good at one thing. Like Princess was the best accelerator. She was the fastest off the line. And Toad was the best handler around curves. And Bowser and Donkey Kong, I think, had the best top end ultimately, but they were, they were slow off, off the line. And then you had, you had Mario, who was like half-assed at everything, was like pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good at everything. Wasn't the fastest, wasn't the best accelerator, wasn't the best handler, uh, but was pretty good at everything. And as it turns out, if you were a newbie to the game and you were trying to learn how to do the game and maybe just get, get acclimated to the game, you probably wanted to start with Mario. And for me, starting businesses from zero revenue to getting on the first million, five million, ten million revenue, it's better to be Mario than it is any of these other drivers because you're going to have to like wear all these different hats. And you're going to have to be pretty good, not awesome. Maybe you're awesome at one thing and then pretty good at the rest, but you're going to have to be pretty good at everything. You can't just look at it from like uh, a software developer's standpoint and nothing else. Or you can't just be only a business guy or gal and not have these other skills. You got to have them all. And that's, that's, that's what, what I have found to be true. Now, 
if you can start, you can join a team that's already doing a million in revenue or two or three million in revenue. They have found product market fit. They have found a solution to what customer to a problem customers have. Those customers will buy, will pay them money and continue to do so. And then that, now they need your really good skills to help take them to the next level. That's a great place to start. But if you are starting with no product, no customers, no revenue, it pays to be Mario because you're going to have to be good at a lot of different things. Yeah, until you can hire the first person. I think uh, that's one of the pieces of um, entrepreneurial advice I see from some successful entrepreneurs is as soon as you can afford it, hire your first person so you can offload uh, something off your plate. So that allows you to focus, you know, start you know, micro focusing or, you know, honing your focus into the things you're really good at. Because most of us, you know, even as entrepreneurs, you might be able to wear a lot of hats, but there's usually that one, two or three things that you are really, really good at. And that's your, where you should be operating every single day. You know, in my days with Dave Ramsey, uh, when you look at the success of his company, he's been producing that radio show for three hours a day, five days a week for 30 years now. And, uh, you know, his marketing engine, you know, he was very fortunate to, to land that marketing engine uh, very early in his business. And while other people are paying for marketing, he's out there getting paid to market himself, you know, and, and that works pretty, pretty well. You don't have that, you know, 10 to 20 percent uh, marketing line item on your budget. That was the so, innovation. That was the innovation of distribution. And it goes back to my earlier point. You have to think that, like, not only did he have to produce a good product in the marketplace, and not only did he have to solve a problem that people actually had and they were willing to pay for, he also had to innovate on getting awareness and and distribution to the product. And most people don't even know they have to do that. Most people don't, when they're starting a business, don't even think about that piece. They only think about the product and the solution, and they just think if they build it, people will come, and they don't. So you have to you have to innovate on growth, marketing, and distribution, or else you'll never take off. Yeah, and uh, and uh, you know challenges to business, but let, let's explore what you said uh, just a minute ago because I think that's clarity. Because some people are going, well, you know, how do I how do I get ahead? Where do I get? I'm stuck, and you know, a lot of people. I've got some relatives and friends that are what I call income stagnant. They're kind of stuck in the J-O-B that they've had for 10 or 15 years. Their income hasn't gone up a lot. It's, you know, within probably 10 or 15% of what it was for the last five or 10 years, which is is not good. You should be training your mind to go, okay, how am I going to make an extra 10 grand this year? How am I going to make an extra 10 grand next year? Because the reality, that's possible. Like that, I didn't understand that, you know, growing up in a lower income household, you know, if you had told me as a young guy I could make hundred thousand dollars a year, I'd be like, "You're crazy, man! I'm a, I'm a, I'm a thirty thousand, forty thousand year a guy family, right?" And uh, I kind of stumbled into the hundred thousand dollar a year salary. I, my intention was to make more money but work less hours. So, but I, in my mindset, I was like a fifty thousand dollar a year guy. And it was probably a few years before I realized, oh, I could, I could probably make sixty. You know, maybe I could make sixty. Um, you know, when I got out of college, made 30, I think I made $39,000 my first year out of college. And when I found out my mom was making about 35 grand, I'm like, man, she's been at this game 20 years longer than me. I'm already beating her out. I'm, I'm winning. Like I'm winning you know, I'm doing good. I was like, so not true. Right. Um, but, but the growth, but you know, businesses are systems, uh, jobs are systems to make money. They're just not a great system to make money. You know, they, you can make money that way. And even if you go corporate, you can um, 
you can get a little bit more money, like the potential, like there's potential. So how do you, you know, you get on that track, comes down to personal development, self-development, like what kind of self-development things you're doing. Now, what you talked about was uh, another money-making system, which is join a company that's already in play that has, I guess the best way to say it, right, is a lot of runway. They have a lot of potential uh, to go. Some businesses, you know, let's say the restaurant business, for example, you know, the margins are really low. They're low at like two to 3% uh, net on restaurant businesses. There's not a lot of what I would call runway in the restaurant business. You know, maybe you, maybe you get Shake Shack or something like that, that that hits big on the stock market. So get in early, which is kind of what I did. Um, you know, your, your company still, how many employees do you have now, Brian? We have 42 people uh, that work in the business. And a lot of the hires we've made were people that recognized that they could get a little slice of equity in, in something that was growing fast and added value before they asked anything. And this is a playbook that can help anybody get a seat on a rocket ship if you're willing to add value before you ask. And so an example would be, you know, we hired a, a head of, of search engine optimization last year and she came to us over the course of like 90 days, just offering free uh, advice about what we should be doing with our search strategies. Like, hey, you know, would love to build a relationship with you, work together at some point. But here are 10 things that I noticed just by looking at your project from the outside in that you need to fix. Um, and if you get those fixed, let me know and I'll help you with, with some other stuff for free. And she did that. And over time, we started to work with her on a contract basis. And then over time, we hired her full, full, full time. And now she has a slice of equity in the business. And so that's an example of how you can earn your way onto a rocket ship. One is you got to acquire the skills. You know, you got to work on yourself and acquire skills in something that's in high demand. It could be, it could be product design. It could be, uh, it could be user experience design. It could be copywriting. It could be search engine optimization. It could be AI. It could be, it could be whatever that's in high demand right now. And you have to be willing to work on yourself to develop those skills. And then you have to be willing to kind of wedge your way in and, and offer value before, before you ask anything. And this, this, this stuff works. I mean, there's a guy, I, I, read a, I read an article about the greatest tweet of all time that was ever sent, or maybe the most, most valuable tweet of all Elon time. Was it by Elon Musk? Was it by Elon Musk? It could have been. This is about a guy that, that, that Travis Kalanick, CEO of Uber, hired. Uh, and, uh, and he said, hey, uh, starting a new company, uh, big people involved, big money behind us, great product. It's in mobile. This tweet was sent in like 2011. And uh, looking for a head of BizOps. And uh, this dude saw the tweet. He said, hey, here's a, here's, a, here's a tip. DM me. And so Travis Callen DMs him and, and hires him in an in a equity package that, that uh, I think ultimately ended up being worth something like five or six billion dollars on IPO. And so that that dude pay attention. <laughs> yeah. But but that guy but that guy was at the time was working at Foursquare. And the way he got on at Foursquare was he, he said he said, hey, you know, I'm using Foursquare in my town, but I noticed you're not in these other towns around around the uh, Chicago land area. So I went ahead and built out communities I got 10 restaurants in, in, in all of these suburbs all over Chicago because I love Foursquare so much. And Foursquare ended up hiring. At the time, Foursquare was like the next Facebook. And uh, it's, no, it's, it's dead now, but at the time, it was a rocket ship. And so he got on Foursquare. He was biz dev there. 
And so he had a track record. So when he sent Travis Kalanick that tweet, he already had a track record. He's like, here's a locally based app driven business. I know how to build communities. I could do that for, for Uber. And he did. I think he ultimately is probably worth five to $10 million now. So, and that's, and he started with nothing. And so like, that's an example of adding value before you ask anything. This guy did it twice. And I've seen it done on me as, you know, being a CEO and founder of this company. So if you're trying to go from zero and you have no connections, you have no track record, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, when I was in college and uh, I still remember this. It's so funny. I don't think I've told this story on the show before, but uh, I, I uh, studied engineering. If you guys don't know that, listen to any future millionaires, I was studying engineering, uh, bachelor of science, mechanical engineering. And I went home in the summer, got my... Uh, went to the library, picked up the Thomas Registry, which I'm not even sure if those are around anymore, but back then you had a listing of companies in the country and people paid to be in it. And I, I started looking for engineering jobs I could go uh, do internships with. And I made a list of about, probably about 25 companies, 30 companies. And I'm like, I need to call all these companies to see if I can land a, a summer job. And, uh, you know, I was at, at college, you're kind of a little bit lazy sometimes or get into trouble. I didn't get in any trouble, but I, I was a little bit lazy at times. And so I'd take afternoon naps before my afternoon classes, I'd eat lunch, go back and crash for an hour. And uh, one day I couldn't sleep. And I'm like, man, I need to, what am I going to do? I can't sleep. So in my underwear, sitting in my boxers, I am uh, pick up the phone and start calling this list of companies, man. And I, I call through them. And uh, I got I got through all of them. And, and, and I'd heard that, you know, if you can't land the job, then volunteer. And so at the end of them, I would try to pitch and see if they were taking interns. And then at the end, I would say, well, you know, I need to get the experience. Would you be willing to let me come in and work two or three days a week to get the experience I need to build my resume, um, you know, for free? Let me come in and work for free just because the experience. And pretty much all of them blew me off. And I got down to like the last one and I'm looking at the clock and I've got like five minutes to get to class and it's about three minute run across the campus and I'm still in my boxers, right? And I'm like, and I hear this look voice is like, call the last one. And I'm like, all right, let me call him. So I called the last one on the list. I finished off my list. And uh, I got the, sec- the secretary front office and I said, hey, this is my story. I'm looking for a job, uh, engineering student. And they, and that, they said, oh, I'm going to put you on hold for a second. They put me on hold and then they patched me through to the president of the company. And this company was about probably about, about $3 million, family-owned tool and die shop in the manufacturing. And, uh, I, 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 and the guy didn't even know. I don't, he's, they're like, there's a call for you on line one or something. He didn't know who he was talking to. And, and he picks up and he's like, hello. This is Jeff. And, and I started talking to him and I gave him the same spiel. Hey, this, I'm, an in, I'm an engineering student. I'm looking for summer work. Um, would it be okay if I came in? Do you have anything available? He's like, no, I don't have anything available. You know, so he's blowing me off. And I said, well, would it be possible for me to come in? And he, and he says, can you say that again? And I said it again. I said it again. Same thing. Yeah, I'm looking for experience. Build my resume. And he's like, what's your name again? And I said, Tony Bradshaw. And he goes, Tony, I promise you, I will give you a call back. And, and, and sure enough, he, he, he started calling me. That was like on a Monday, I think. And I didn't talk to him, I think, until it was about a week and a half. And when he got through to me, he says, I've been trying to get in touch with you since Friday. You're a hard man to get in touch with. So he didn't just try once. He called me repeatedly. And that was my first manufacturing engineering job. But I was willing to give some value, like you said, for that opportunity. Now, the story goes there is I did work there for the summer. I did work there for the following winter. And then I didn't work there the next summer or the next when I got out of school. But then I went back to visit and I was still looking for an engineering job because, you know, it's hard to land jobs out of college. And uh, 
he brought me back in and that was that actually became my first engineering job and I spent my first six and a half years out of college working for this guy and uh I learned so much man he was a he was a great mentor to me I still have lunch with him now you know 30 years later uh, I met him 30 years ago yeah and he's retired and you know family but but yeah I, I totally agree with what you said is you know add value and then uh, I actually my first uh, true marketing director when I worked for for Dave, actually did an internship for me. He came in and started helping me with internet marketing because I was trying to expand that side of the company and grow the business. And he volunteered working for me for a couple days a week. I think he just wanted to learn and uh, came in and handled a few things for me a couple days a week. And after about six months of him doing that, I gave him a job and uh, he stayed at that company. Let's see, I think he started in 2000, probably around 2006. And he stayed with Dave for 10 years. He was a 10-year employee after volunteering for two days a week for about six months. And so that's, you know, I totally agree with what you're saying. And, and I think it's a great way to do it for anybody looking to, you know, shake, shake the dust off the typical job and, and, and grow their career some. Yeah, I mean, you have to manufacture that momentum. And if, if you don't have any momentum, if you're not going anywhere, it's really hard to manufacture that and get started. But, but once you get rolling, then stuff starts to happen. And uh, the best way I've heard it articulated is in the book. Uh, it's called the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. And what he talks about in that book, there's spends a whole chapter on this concept of your circle of concern and your circle of influence. And so your circle of concern is all the stuff in the world that, that you're concerned about. And so in the world we live in today, it could be all of the, all of the COVID stuff going on. It could be, is the, is the market going to crash? It could be, our interest rates going to go up? It could be, is technology going to eat me from, uh, uh, alive, eat my business alive? It could be all these things you're concerned about. That's your circle of concern. And then in the, in the middle, you have a much, much smaller circle, and that's your circle of influence. And that's the circle in which you can act. It's the circle in which you can do things. And Really, you should only worry about that circle. And so it's like, what are the things I can do today? I mean, actually do. And it might just be doing 100 uh, cold calls. It might be calling up all 10 of my only 10 customers. It might be uh, you know, sitting down and, and talking with my, my, my five best employees and, and figuring out what their concerns are. And, and you know, whatever it is, it could be writing a blog post. It could be whatever you can do today. And if you're willing to act in that circle enough, it grows and it gets bigger and, and then your options begin to multiply. The problem is, is people stay lost in that circle of concern and they don't act inside the circle of influence. And it's important to understand the distinction between the two and understand where you can actually do something today. It might be small, might be menial. It may feel like it's beneath your abilities, but if you're willing to do that over and over again, it gets bigger. Yeah. I love that. Is there another way to say that? It's like uh, the way I look at it is busy is not always productive. So try to make sure you're on the things that are actually producing results for you. And especially as an entrepreneur, because, you know, there's, there's always something that you can get busy with, but if you don't use your, if all you have is time and not money, you have to make sure that that time resource goes towards the right things until, you know, the money comes. And um, how do you do, let's talk about that. Close out the show with that. Like, what are you? What do you believe are some of the top um, like priorities that you know an entrepreneur needs to put together every day to go? Hey, I need to spend the bulk of my time in these one, two, or three things if I'm going to be a successful entrepreneur. Yeah, it's uh, when I was building GreenPal, 
I spent a lot of time lost in what, what, what I call fake work. So it could be the stuff that just doesn't matter. It just doesn't drive the ball forward. And, and uh, you know, we get lost in this quadrant of things that are, that are, that are urgent, but not important. And so it's like all of the BS, you know, emails, all of this comes across our plate. We just get, we just get lost in that urgent, but not important. And really where you want to be is you want to try to carve out time. And it may just be one day a week and things that are important, but aren't urgent. And so that could be things like, like, what is our, what is, what does the competitive landscape look like? What is our, what does our growth strategy look like? What does our marketing machine looks like? Where do our customers come from and how do we get more of them and where are we losing them in the funnel? And, and, uh, you know, what is the culture, you know, if I have five or 10 or 20 or 30 people, what's the culture looking like in the, in the business? And what are my people saying? What do they care about? The things that are, that are important, but aren't urgent. They're not the things you have to do Monday morning at, at eight o'clock in the morning. It's like the things you have to really sit down and make time for. If you could just be cognizant of, of where you're spending your time and listen, this stuff's hard, but if you can try to set aside one day a week or maybe an hour a day to do the things that are, that are important, but aren't urgent. And a lot of times as the founder, you know, there's only, there's like, there's things that, that you need to be doing that only the founder can do. And so, so that's like, setting the standard for the business, the quality standard. Like what is, what is the standard of, of excellence in the business? I'm setting that standard and I'm doing it and I'm, in it and I'm literally embodying it. It's setting the culture. It's setting the strategy. It's, it's figuring out as a capital allocator of the business where you're making your bets you know, in the next quarter, the next year, the next three years. And so like, these are the only things only the founder can do. And in the early days, you know, it's a lot of times it's, it's in the business and it's not on the business and that's okay. But as time goes on, maybe you're spending 10% on the business and 90% in the business. You need to invert that to where it's 90% on the business, 10% in it. And you get there by, by sales, making money, reinvesting that money, hiring people, delegating, building out a good org chart around you. And is where ultimately you get to a place where you are spending 90% of your time on the business high leverage activities and 10% in the business in the minutia. And it's taken me at times five years. Sometimes it's taken me 10 years to get there. Yeah. And the energy, right? So energy is a big thing. I think that's what I'm learning in the cycle is, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of energy to get something, especially when you're starting it from scratch and you're the only guy, but then, and that's why you would go, well, instead of doing it yourself, why don't you just hit yourself to some people that are going in the right direction? Because you get an energy multiplier in that that formula, like you're not the only one providing the energy that the business needs. Because every business requires startup business requires an inordinate amount of energy that's got to be it's got to be provided for somewhere, right? Um, you know, when you think about, you know, I'm I'm just looking at my own self because I think because I've had enough capital to like enjoy life for five years that I haven't put the 60, 80 hour work weeks in to the business that most startup business guys do. You know, I've been mostly focused on my family and my family time. I got six kids. They're a little bit demanding. I got a wife. Uh, I won't call her demanding, <laughs> but, <laughs> but she has needs, you know, and, and time needs. And uh, so, you know, I've been enjoying life while nudging this thing along, moving my business along. And that, that's work. That's my lifestyle. But if I was a startup, didn't have money, it's going to be a different formula, right? I'm going to operate a little bit differently. But regardless, if you want to have a successful business, it's going to take an inordinate amount of energy to get it off the ground, to get it to, I guess, what you call like cruising altitude or something like that. 
And, uh, and I think that's the thing as a new entrepreneur, I got to jump into a business that had already done that initial heavy, like energy push to get that thing to 3 million bucks. Like, I think it takes a lot more energy to get it to 3 million than it does to go from like three to 10, because you have, you have a system, you have a system that's proven to be effective. Now you got to just do like Jim Collins says, a flywheel. You got to do more of the same. You do more of the same, but they've already built the flywheel. You just got to, you know, keep adding a little bit more energy in it and it picks up speed. So Brian, man, it's been a wonderful talking to you again. I'm glad things are going successful to you. I was just uh, kept thinking, man, 90 trucks, uh, 150 employees. That was a lot of yards, man. <laughs> That's a lot of grass. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, running that first business was, was, was organized chaos, but I'll tell you the second company, Green Pile has been 10 times harder. Um, and, and, uh, one thing I love about business is that, you know, it is levels of a video game and there is always a new boss. There's always a new dragon to slay at, at each level. And I think if you're doing business right, you evolve as a new person every three or four years. So I love, I love that I, that I've been able to experience that in my life. And, and, and I love that my business has always been the thing that's made my life interesting and it's always caused me to level up. I've read so many books that I never w- would have ever read in a million years because my business required me to read them. And, and so that's the cool thing about it. And that's the thing I would encourage anybody to listen to this. Like, uh, you know, I mean, think about starting a business and, and dedicating a decade of your life to it, dedicating your, your life's energy to it, because it could be one of the best things you ever do with your life. Awesome. Well, how are people going to find out more about you or hear you talk more? Yeah, life's too short to cut your own grass. No need to do that. Uh, work on your business. So download GreenPal in the App Store or Play Store. Uh, you get hooked up with a great lawnmowing service in a couple of minutes. And anybody wants to reach me, uh, Instagram, great place to reach me. Brian M. Clayton, just hit me up there. Shoot me a DM. I'll hit you back. Well, Brian, it's been a pleasure, man. I wish you a good rest of 2022. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to talk to someone about what to do with your money or career, but you didn't know who to ask? You can try to figure out how money works on your own, but it's a lot easier and a lot less painful with a mentor. But not just any mentor. You need a money mentor. A money mentor helps you understand the ins and outs of money, getting rid of your debt, setting up your investments, and figuring out ways to help you boost your income. Finding a money mentor is millionaire key number four, and it's one of the most important keys on your financial journey. Let me tell you about a special opportunity I have for you. For a limited time, I'm making myself available as your money mentor. You can book one hour with me for free. That's no charge. One hour may not sound like a lot, but with just one hour, I know I can have a huge impact on your life and finances. It's 100% free, no risk. Visit themillionairechoice.com and register for the free Money Mentor session. That's themillionairechoice.com and click on Money Mentor. That's a wrap for this episode of The Millionaire Choice. Remember, wealth is a result of getting smarter with your money. Wealth helps you enjoy life and help people. For resources, tools, and a community that will accelerate your millionaire journey, go to themillionairechoice.com. The Millionaire Choice Show shares the opinions and experiences of people and should not be considered financial advice. Before making your own financial choices, please seek out a registered financial advisor or certified financial planner.